0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 52 Yoga is More Than Asanas. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Alexandria Crow. Alexandria is an internationally respected teacher's teacher who leads teacher trainings and workshops around the world. Through her yoga-physic methodology, her in-person continuing education workshops, and online deconstruct-to-reconstruct courses, as well as her 300-hour teacher training intensives, she aims to clearly explain the what, whys, and how of asanas, meditation, and yogic philosophy, making the practice approachable for everyone, of every level, and of every walk of life. As a former competitive gymnast, she fell in love with asanas and with yoga in general, but it's through a series of significant injuries that her practice and teachings has dramatically evolved to focus on sustainability and accessibility. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. You like the podcast and you want even more content? Well, get access to exclusive episodes, tutorials, guided meditation, and so much more as you become a VIP member. And know that you can make a big difference even with a small donation or with your membership to help me cover production costs and allow me to continue to produce this podcast. So if you'd like it to continue, you'd like to support me in this, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a VIP member. As a thank you, you'll get access to new exclusive content every month. Okay, you ready? Let's get to our episodes of today with Alex Grau. Hi Alexandria.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you so
1: much for joining me today. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want this this to be evergreen, I suppose, in certain ways, but good as one can be expected if you knew the date. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for listeners that
0: don't know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your yoga journey?
1: Uh, I I teach primarily other teachers. I teach, um, obviously, there's some up, but I'm primarily a a an educator at this point. um, I started off in a much different field, graphic designer and in the fashion world after that. And uh, it was funny back in, it was actually late, late two th- 2007 or somewhere in there um, that I was just pretty bored. I'd been practicing for a long time. I had a lot of friends that overlapped into the yo world. Um, and there was a need for me to do something different. So, a lot of them were like, Well, take teacher training. You've been practicing for a while. You like that kind of thing. And so uh-huh. I did, got laid off halfway through. And that's kind of the end of that. I just uh, kind of walked forward and I had a teaching past. I coached gymnastics. I've taught in other ways, um, not traditionally in, a, in this academic sense, but through lots of other jobs that I've had. And so it just was a natural fit. Um, so I've been teaching full time ever since. Um, and then I have a, injury story, um, which is more common to talk about these days. It's certainly Mm -hmm. not what I identify with, but it was the pivot point that changed pretty much what I I teach and why I sit in the continuing education field at this point. Mm -hmm. You injured your back, right? Uh, Yeah, that was, well, that's part of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's more than just that one. Um, Primarily it was, yeah, all uh, disc-related stuff. There's some pelvic uh, SI dysfunction. Um, Mm -hmm. and then a couple other things here and there, but yeah, the, it was nerve, nerve pain was the big, big, big part. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, back injury.
0: Mm -hmm. And although you were physically able to do more advanced shape before, or like quote unquote advanced position or, you know, poses and shapes, and you had the knowledge to continue to teach that you don't focus really your work on this today. And I know you Mm -hmm. believe that, yoga is way more than the asana part of it so in your words what is yoga like how do you define this practice for yourself and for your students
1: i'm going to do it in a different way because I, I do these ones all the time so i'll give you a new one of my new analogies for <laughs> okay, this um, so do you remember that that game square peg round hole round round hole round peg sure. when you were a kid uh-huh. okay so um there's this inherent feeling of maybe insecurity or lack or um Uh, A a confusion that I think a lot of people have. I think that that's probably very, very, very normal if I was to say so. Um, And it's this feeling that there's just something about oneself that needs to be fixed or Mm. something about circumstances needs to be fixed. And then... Everything that feels like it's lacking will just fall into, and so we kind of wander around looking for. If we all have a different shaped hole in us. Let's say we all wander around looking for the peg that's going to fill it, and we're mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, we keep putting ones in, and they just don't fit right. They're too big. They're too small. And yoga is the process from from my perspective, my standpoint, is of figuring out. That there's no peg that's going to fill that. There, there was no hole to begin with. (laughs) That it, it was all this kind of confusion and misunderstanding that we were given. Uh, I think that's part of the human experience. So that's where I would stand. Is like what's what's going to allow oneself to feel whole and worthy, uh, which is inherently our our birthright. Mm. Is that we must be all along. So then, how do
0: the poses? How does the physical practice, the asana practice, help us get there? Because that's a big part of yoga.
1: Mm-hmm. It is now modernly for sure. Yeah. Um, the post catalog has definitely ended up being that, which is why I think that it's a really actually exciting time to look at um, teaching from a physical standpoint. So, if we were to say, you know, asana historically as a as a technique, we're not employing it in even remotely the way that it was used intended all those ty- uh, all those years before or intended. Yeah. So yeah. we're in this really different place. And we're in a different environment where we're teaching multiple people at once in a less than consistent fashion. And I think it would be faulty to ignore that or to think that that could somehow be different in some, you know, linear trajectory sort of way. So we have this whole physical catalog. And if you look at what we're trying to teach people, and if I was to take my own story, I have a gymnastics background. But that's not the interesting part from the performative standpoint. It's what it ingrained in me along with lots of other parts of my upbringing that if I look good, if I perform just right, if I please the authority figure, if I was told I was doing a good job, then regardless of how intuitively it felt to me or whether it was actually wise, and this is all outside of my vantage point, right? This all unconscious stuff, that it was worth doing. And so I would buy into it like, well, I guess doing the splits is is good. And they say it's well aligned and it's really advanced. And so here we go. But in truth, that performative, people-pleasing, perfectionist kind of mindset was actually really, really painful. Mm-hmm. And it took my injury for me to walk back from that. But I didn't even know, uh, as long before injury was ever talked about in yoga, I didn't know that it was it was the alignment and this idea of precision and how it looks and all of that that was actually causing a lot of the issue. So it was when I repositioned, I was like, oh, wait, who am I without that? Who mm-hmm. am I without the splits? Oh, wow, I feel like I might be left alone and people might not want to participate with me and I maybe I uh, am not worth it anymore. And I was completely wrong, but it took actually not doing it and not falling into those grooves in order to really... To really see that. So right now, and I walked forward from that and kept looking and it was like all these beliefs that I'd been given about how awesome is supposed to be done. It's like, oh, well, your feet have to go here. Your hands have to go there. This is advanced and this is beginner. Mm-hmm. And the more I started to look at what I'd been taught to believe and what the actuality of it was, especially in a universal sense across pro- populations of people, that my belief system was faulty and that it wasn't that universal. And I was like, oh my gosh, but I was actually scared to change some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, that moment when you realize like people's legs are different and you're like, I've <laughs> them all to do this similar thing and they can't. And there's no amount of changing or working hard or anything that's going to change how their bone structure put together. Oh, wow. But then there's, oh, but what if I'm wrong? What if, the, what if what they told me was right? What if I missed something? It's all that like feeling of lack. And then you realize you're afraid that a bear is about to attack you just because you might change how somebody's feet are positioned mm-hmm. or offer more variable than, than that. So there's this like literal fear of bodily death from changing something that is nowhere near <laughs> that sort of <laughs> outcome. And so I get very excited about what awesome that can be used for now and how we can use physicality because people have, it's almost like we've used the technique in such a way and and taught it and uh, constructed in such a way that all of our human feelings of lack of this need to perform and be perfect and attain and all that is built right in to how the poses are taught. And I'm like, just debunk them, Mm. just debunk them and compare and contrast what the actuality of any specific pose or activity could be. And when you butt that up against the individual and what their belief was prior to these, all these variations that they could take into account, then you start to see that you're afraid to do what's wise for you because you were told so many times that you have to do it a certain way. And if people can cumulatively engage with that kind of trepidation that shows up and realize that they're all right and that the way they do it is if it's working for them and they really embody it, that that's great. And that means that if everybody around them is doing that too, they can trust and accept that everybody is doing really skillful stuff for themselves. And even though it's different, it works. So then there's unity in that. Mm. And I just think it's so cool that right now we actually have this capacity to teach the depth of yoga way more than just you know what we've been using modern asana for right off of all of this rule-based stuff that we've created in the asana world. Is that, so why you, for sure. <laughs> is, is
0: that why you created the asana lab to really deconstruct the poses so people can have the time to look at what's working for them, why it's working, and then go into all of the other <laughs> mental activities that are happening and observe that and try to understand
1: what's going on there as well? Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what it's for. Um, I have one of those puzzle-solving brains that likes to figure out like all the different reasons something potentially be happening. And if I'm aiming at a specific outcome, then I want to figure out all of the different variables that could allow that outcome to happen and the ones that could steer it off course. So I, in trying to kind of save the poses for a while, um, and some of them can be like rebuilt pretty nicely and they look really similar to what people are used to. Some of them, it's a little harder you have to go off the, the vibe that that they were being utilized for. But in solving that puzzle, I came up with pretty good set of lists or a set of points for pose, um, or any given activity that people could investigate mm. and make different choices off of that might be wiser for them. And then I could juxtapose all of that with the prefab, you know, normal construction or agreed upon construction of any given pose. And then really turn the reins over to them mm. and say, okay, I've given you all the potentials. Now, here's what you were taught to believe. Here's the potentials. You choose. Can you, you give a couple examples
0: of what we could for think sure. about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I uh, give just a couple of easy ones that are in a couple of free little things that, if, if anyone wanted them, they're there for them. Um, one would be foot placement in, let's say, mountain pose. So, at first, I was taught base of big toes together, heels behind your second toe, you know, kind of standard feet, foot together position. Then I learned that doesn't quite work, especially when I started sitting down to teach more and watching what was happening in front of me. I was like, some people's knees are going to hit first. This is just not going to work out. So then there was feet together. Okay, feet hip distance apart, but they're still going to face straight ahead and they still need to be symmetrical. Then that didn't work. It didn't even work for me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, there's so much variation here. And it depends even on the moment. Like sometimes my feet... Both turn out roughly the same degree. I have a little torsion, a little rotational abnormality off of my skeletal structure in my lower legs. Some days, depending on what's happening above, that's all muscular stuff, one will turn out a little more than the other. Mm-hmm. just depends. But if I'm trying to make a pose that feels mountainous, let's say, mm-hmm. that's roughly hip distance apart, kind of the general thought process with that pose then how I position my feet to accomplish that particular aim will be different depending on the moment for the individual and will be different depending on the individual that's accomplishing it. Meaning some will be wider, some will be narrower, some will be angled, some will be symmetrical, some will not be. It depends. And I'd have to let you investigate all of those different variables until you landed in what felt like your version of mountain pose. So rather than everybody feet together, feet hip distance, I would say things like bring your feet as close together as they'll go, move them away from one another a little at a time, potentially back towards one another until they feel stable under your hips. And then I'm usually pretty descriptive. Like if you were on a people mover that didn't require you to hold the handrail, if it came to a stop, would you be able to keep yourself upright and not topple? And I'll just give them time. Mm. And then we do the same thing with the angle that they're facing, And then they land and I don't name it until that point. Then I go mountain pose. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, I'm like, okay, just notice. All right. Now, if you have a prefab way, you do mountain pose. I want you to do it. Do it that way. I want you to feel, does it feel, does it still qualify? Okay. It, does it feel odd in your joints? Does it just feel intuitively manufactured? Mm -hmm. If it does adapt, you know, the variables. Now you try out your right now version of mountain pose. And I kind of watch them get all pinned in for a second, especially like if you had to ask me 10 years ago, I'd been like, nope, this is is the way this shape goes. I'm not, would have been very hard for me to get out of my own way because I was very reverent to the authority. But I'll watch people like little by little, they start to, oh, I can, okay, let me go back. And then they compare and contrast again. Okay, prefab one, mountain pose of the day, back and forth. And eventually they end up, and then I say, pick the one that works for you. Which one qualifies? And in not everybody, because some of the foot together one works for it. It's pretty rare, but it does work every now and then. And so you'll have this just wide variety that ends up happening. There's also things like your foot can't go on your knee in tree pose, for example. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I've watched people test that out like their knee was made of fire. (laughs) It was going to burn them if they even let it touch there. And I'm like, it doesn't work for everybody, but it's not going to explode for for a lot of you. So it's all right. Mm -hmm. So those are some little examples of how, how you can play with people investigating some of that stuff because they're so tight right now. Don't you think like so tight in how they believe things go? Sure. How do you balance that with the idea of
0: just staying in your comfort zone and not, you know, finding the boundaries or exploring in a way that makes you grow in your body as well? Like if you're, oh, well, my, you know, glute med is really tight, so I'm going to keep my feet out forever. Like, I don't know if you know what I'm trying to say.
1: (laughs) Oh, I know what you're trying to say. (laughs) Same ones that happen all the time. And I mean, it wouldn't be that I would say, if it's here today, draw a Sharpie outline around your feet. And now that's your new normal all the time. Okay. It's like, no, it it depends. It depends on the day. How does it feel? Is that where it is today? Then maybe that's where it needs to be. And then maybe an hour from now, when your nervous system changes its Mm. state, when you've done some other stuff, you might notice your foot is in a different place. And isn't that cool? And doesn't that go with philosophy a lot more? Is kind of my way of yeah. So thinking then it's that.
0: more about embodiment and awareness than finding what is your pose and sticking with that forever.
1: Exactly, I see. Yeah, so it would be embodying the qualities of the experience from mm-hmm. moment to moment. Yeah, exactly. So there's no such thing as the new version of tree pose to me. I'm like, well, it depends. Mm-hmm. What? Are, who's there? How do they feel that day? And what kind of tree? <laughs> Because we can make this really, really creative if we want. Sure.
0: (laughs) Is there still value then on working towards poses that are quote unquote more advanced, more challenging physically? I know there's the injury side that we kind of just brushed on, but if you're not injured or I don't know if it's possible to never get injured if you're going towards those really challenging poses, but um, yeah, do they still have value in the discipline, mental kind of tapas aspect of it? Or what, what do you see in that?
1: I think it really depends. I'm not um, an all or nothing like black and white answer ever. I think it really depends on the individual. What I would say is if I, I don't teach that kind of stuff right now, but I do teach a lot of people who are in that boat engaging with those kinds of shapes. So in workshops, I do dismantle and and show a lot of like what would seem fancier or more to show people what, what the construction is of that and how even if you can get away with doing it maybe for a short period of time or you're like the one person that wins the lottery, which you will not know until the end. So, you know, it's all a gamble. Even if you can, it's still highly exclusive and it's lacking in any kind of like sustainable framework. Um, So for me, because I want to be able to teach anybody who's there, regardless um, day to day, I don't want to use the highly exclusive, even if I can make them a little bit more safe and a little more personal. Um, And then I would look at it like, you know, uh, yes, we could always argue that there is merit in it. I mean, I like 100% of the argument that we've had up till very recently. But my other would be like, well, who would you be without that? Mm-hmm. If you couldn't do that stuff anymore, if there was not another pose you could attain, would you be okay? Like really in your bones, would you be okay without that? Because if the answer is even an inkling of no, then there's some work to be done from my vantage point. Mm-hmm. like, you will, you are, the truth of it is you are. But if you don't, and I know that when I couldn't do that stuff anymore, there was a good period of time where I was like trying to get it back. That's why I learned a lot of it didn't work is I tried to save that stuff every which way from Sunday and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, who are who am I without that? And it turns out that my value within that ability at all.
0: So there is kind of pressure as teacher to be able to do those fancy poses, to teach those challenging poses. How do we bring the point cross of what yoga is in those public classes without? necessarily throwing ourselves into those poses and how do we keep people coming like how do we keep that sellable profitable aspect of class when we're paid sometimes oftentimes per you know per head or that kind of thing but how do we balance the two where we want to give what people want because a lot of time they come from that but you also want to sneak in something else right <laughs> behind the scene to get them to see that there's more than the postures themselves? I think,
1: well, let's look first at that. That's a really new thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how long you've been practicing or teaching, but I remember when that was not a thing. Uh, I come from a background where doing fancy stuff in the way that Instagram popularized it was mm. not, that was not encouraged. Like when I'm saying I was doing fancy things, I was doing things in the, the Ashtanga sequence and in the order I was given them yeah. and like, I wasn't jumping ahead. But I think that that's a very new thing that happened from marketing, that happened from Instagram, that happened from media, yeah. and I think the only real way around that to start with is to educate people, is to say um, it's you know there's more to it than that, and for those of us that that did accomplish those sorts of things physically, to with transparency say whether or not that actually left us in the place we intended. Because even if you don't get injured, I would venture to ask you like, but, but how about performing that for the rest of your days? Is that really serving you? Are you still engaged with the material? Are you still engaged with teaching it? So I think it comes from one, us having to be really honest and then educating people and talking about it more and talking about it in an inclusive way. I try really, really hard to say, I've done it too. I've done all of that. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not trying to say I could have done better or that I should take it back uh, or hide it. I, that was the best I could. And that was, I was congratulated for that in lots of ways. But here's why I do it this way now. And here's what I've learned from doing it this way instead. And if you're looking for any of that, I can show you the methods that I used to, to help myself. And maybe those will work, or maybe you'll learn how to adapt them so that they work better for you. I think that's one of the big things is that we talk in the yoga world out of both sides of our mouths so much, We're like it's not about fancy poses, but let me teach you fancy poses, yeah exactly it's not about flexibility, but literally what you see in those pictures requires an above average range of motion so i, I think it's bringing into uh, into a congruent nature those two things of what walking the walk and talking the talk
0: mm-hmm. and oftentimes on instagram you 'll see i don 't know, I think people will have the assumption if they see a teacher that has a really advanced physical practice that it automatically means that they're a really good teacher and it, it might, but it also might just mean they're really, you know, dedicated student and it doesn't translate in their teaching. So how can a student know the difference?
1: I think that you make an, an immense point. I mean, if, if you were to look at it right in something like football, let's say not every amazing football player and very few actually become coaches. Being a coach is a completely different skill set. So performing something physically as a teacher is really different than actually being able to articulate how to do that for other people and actually having the teaching techniques and tools to transfer information in incremental bits and in a scaffolded progressive way. So I think that what students I would like them to feel or maybe when they're in classes to look for is is the teacher empowering you that if they weren't there, if you had to practice on your own, would you know what you were doing? Mm. Can you take the information that they're teaching you, really understand it, be able to articulate it out to somebody else about why you're doing what you're doing and where the the decision-making is coming from, and then replicate it maybe in another class or, you know, even at home, like I said, but I think that that's the thing is if you're can, if you really understanding it, think of like in an academic setting, what would you want? Well, you'd really want to understand the topic, right? And mm-hmm. be able to articulate it out to others. And I think that's oftentimes a large missing piece is there's the ability to follow along so long as you can see other people or see the teacher. But if you try to take that outside of that class setting or to explain it verbally to somebody else, that would really be missing. So I always want the students to be you know, and I say this not in a flippant way. I mean it just because the education system is not the fault of anybody. It's not the fault of any individual. It's just what's happened. That the average teaching education is pretty low right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, let's make our students more educated than the average teacher at this moment so that we can elevate all of us together. um, So that, you know, there's a lot of understanding of what and why people are doing that. I think that'll also combat some of what you were saying before of this desire for fancy stuff mm-hmm. or this kind of magical thinking.
0: Yeah, because those fancy poses might not bring you to the what and why we're trying to do.
1: No, <laughs> if I take you well, away I mean, from that. There's some value, right? There's some value in the sense that sometimes, and I mean this in a way where I'm not saying I think people need to get hurt to learn better. I do not subscribe to that. But sometimes you have to bring things into clarity um, in such a, a, a like non-negotiable sort of way where yeah. you really it, to be able to start to dismantle it. Because I think, you know, if I was to take, I've been in therapy for years and years, I'm a huge advocate for that. And I understand a lot of what I understand from that vantage point. Um, And that's in addition to a yoga practice. So if you had asked me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to be able to see what I'm seeing now, I wouldn't have been able to. And one of the big things that helped me see it was actually doing some of that stuff and then not being able to do it. And having, having, for whatever reason, the desire to figure out why. It was out of an obligation to the people I was teaching for the, for the most part, but in um, a little bit to, you know, not getting hurt again myself. But I think that right now, if we can use that kind of idea and articulate it to people much more quickly, and then they don't have to go on this journey that mm-hmm. I went on kind of all by myself. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ability for us to give them that info right out of the gates. It's like, why do you want to learn that? Yeah. What do you think you're going to get out of it? And then really listening to what they say. You might be surprised what we can probably get away with um, teaching them earlier, I think. I think it's very common that
0: either, you know, advanced practitioner go to like that pose that they've been dreaming of for years. And then they're like, okay, I've done it. Now what? Or Mm -hmm. they go, they go, they get injured. And then they're like, okay, now what? Like it's (laughs) oftentimes like one or the other. And I wonder if we can like bring it back and not have to take any of those routes and be like, well, there's so much more. There's so much more than this. So can I have a fuller experience of this practice?
1: I completely agree with you. I think those are the two major trajectories. <laughs> and I do think that there's a way to to navigate the middle. But one of the big ones is that I think... I think people and, and, you know, we're in a time period where you're seeing this more and more is it's really difficult to get any of this across to people when they're in a a nervous system state that's protective or reactive and kind of in that, you know, more fight, flight, freeze type of state. So it's really hard to get people to hear like, you don't have to do what you've been taught. Your whole life is vital to you fitting in or surviving. You can actually do things that are kinder and simpler and quieter, more introspective and probably get there. But I think it takes that kind of quieting down first, um, which is, you know, hard for people. And I like to remind myself of that is like, people are not going to hear me if they're up here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lay there on the floor for a while, then then let's talk. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that. There's more than asana. So the other parts of yoga, what do you think is the place of the other limbs in our modern Westernite classes? Is there, do we have space to talk about those other things and practice those other aspects?
1: I think we do. And I would stand from the standpoint of, if we're going to look at this philosophically, um, the sutras being a text in many, um, a a roadmap um so to speak that's a lot more kind of clear-cut in certain ways compared to something like the Gita which would be much more metaphorical and open to one's personal interaction with it over time um I think that if I was to take some of the key bits and pieces out of things what I would say is we're missing all the preemptive work right now that is part of you know that that limb path or that would be part of the Gita and that's what I was saying just just before this which is why I like this is just a progression of saying people are we're all in these habits of belief and we're all stuck in this kind of um self-fulfilling prophecy of lack where it's like maybe this will work, or maybe yeah. that'll work. And it just keeps going and going. Yeah, exactly. yeah, check the box, do the thing. But then it's that square square peg round hole idea again, right? Like it just doesn't get us there. So I think that there's some of that precursory work. And if I could take it all the way back to what I think we can start with, which would not really be awesome enough for, for me in, the, in all intents and purposes, what I would say is we're trying to get people to be here now, right? Yeah. And so how do you do that? Well, for me, I would say, well, feel here now. Mm -hmm. Like let's, let's, as teachers get really good at understanding what safety means from more than just a, let's make the poses safe from a language standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, from a choice and personal agency standpoint. And then let's say, okay, feel, feel the floor under you hear What's around you notice let's get into our bodies and really be here but taking the time to do that so that then people can juxtapose the actuality of what the circumstance is with all that checkboxing kind of habit because until we pull those two parts apart i think we're just constantly moving mm. through all those habits and it's really hard to see any difference It's so conditioned it's so conditioned yes. So conditioned. Do you see it all over? I mean, I see it all over the place. I see it in myself. I don't, you know, I don't think you get out of this I see without it myself too. <laughs> constantly being in that. Um, but there's more space, I think, that we get to create between. I would definitely say there's tons more space between uh, intent and impact um, <laughs> or, or the stimulus and choice and action now than there was years ago for me. hmm I know you
0: have a deep interest for that philosophical concepts or mm-hmm. of yoga and how they relate to teaching. So can we go over a few concepts and you give me like your first thoughts about it or how sure. we can talk about it in class? Yeah. Um, so you were talking about being here in the present and that made me thought of just fluctuation of the mind. Like mm-hmm. what do you have to say about that? A comment.
1: So I think that there's this idea that Yoga is supposed to, or meditative contemplative practices are supposed to stop your thinking. Uh Well, there are certainly like techniques out there that would have been for that kind of disembodied purpose, but we're not doing those. And that's not the intent right now. So it's the idea that you are not your thoughts, not everything they say is true. And honestly, you're not really even responsible for a lot of them. They arise from this habit. And then sometimes they just arise out of the ether and it's more to be able to sit and watch um, and then to feel what they do to your body, what they do to what your, your choice in action is. And to be able to just kind of step back as the witness of all of that uh, mm-hmm. instead of being dictated almost completely blindly by all of it. So um, I think there's this idea like, oh, we're going to get the moving mind to stop. And I'm like, not if you want to be here, <laughs> you just get to watch it, it entertain itself yeah. um, more. Yeah. And maybe do you think
0: there's something about, yes, you're watching it, but you're also making an effort to in that wit- witness stand to not get involved, to kind of slow it down to it's not just taking a step back and letting it do like all oh, it's crazy. There's still that idea of trying to rein it in a little bit. I think
1: that if I was to I, I agree I agree on a lot of, um, a lot of that. Let me, let's add a little, a little thought to it yeah. in the sense that I think, I, I think there's a control mechanism with that. If like mm. it, if it's like that perfectionist thing again is like, yeah. if I can just, and I'm like, but sometimes <laughs> really what it's going to be is <laughs> there's that thought yeah. I'm going to do that thing. Now I'm going to do the thing I do in relation to that and being able to see it or, Doing it without even knowing it's coming, and like getting involved in it, and then seeing it on the backside, and being able to be like, "Oh, I I was there," and mm-hmm. being a little more forgiving with that because you un- you start to understand the nature of all those kinds of actions. So I would I would hate, and I did that. Like that's the whole thing is I got so good. Somebody couldn't hyper focus. I got so good at stepping back and watching and thinking. I could start to dictate all of the things but really there's feeling involved in all of this. And it's so fast that Mm -hmm. I, I, and it feels so unforgiving to get involved in like thinking that we can dictate it like that. But it certainly has made me much more forgiving of myself and others. Um, Not inappropriately so, not passively, but in a way of like, okay, let's really talk about this or like, I I understand what I did. Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. say, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to watch. I will attempt to refine my involvement with that kind of choice, but I don't, I don't know about the, the yoga world so full of perfect.
0: (laughs) I know. I love that because I was struggling in the past with the idea of like, well, if I'm quieting my mind, then where's the place for self-study? Well, I'm practicing, you know, because if I cannot go into my thoughts, then I cannot observe what am I doing and why I'm doing it. Right. So there's like this balance there too.
1: And I think that, you know, there, there is, I was reading something the other day. I can't even think of what the heck I was reading or who it was, but there's this, there is this ability, you know, in, in meditation, especially, um, to pull back and it almost does cease for a a little bit, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. but you can't live there is the thing. So it's lovely. They were saying it's, you know, I very much share this is it's lovely to go there if you want, but how does it apply? And if, if it can't, it's, it's not like, don't do it. It's just like, well, it's just a different place. It's not really a day-to-day application.
0: Mm-hmm. And both have their own value and their own mm-hmm. purpose in the moment, and you can go either way. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about the concept of effort and ease? If we talk about those physical practices or even the sitting down practices, how do we play with those two concepts?
1: So I would like it, uh, a teacher of mine did it by just negating the word of effort and effortlessness mm. or comfort and discomfort, which helps a lot because then it, then it's simultaneously the same thing represented a little better. But um, the idea being to learn about duality and mm. about the magnetism or or repulsion of duality. And so that's just our human nature is to want to manipulate what's going on. To either pull it close and not let it go or to push it away. And, you know, pleasure is pain and pain is pleasure. And there's all this mixed messaging, but it's all impermanent at the end of the day. It's all changing. So I think right now it's really hard to teach that effort and effortlessness as a, as a simultaneous like observation standpoint of like watching these things come and go when there's, you know, 90 poses in a class or, you know, you're moving through them so fast and then there's music and there's somebody talking to you and tell you where to put things. And so I think that right now for that whole idea of of asana, that's why I'm like, well, we can teach a lot of the other stuff about choice and about movement of the mind and about attachment and aversion and all these other concepts that are kind of precursory to that, just sitting and watching the bodily like fluctuations and the mental fluctuations in that sort of dualistic standpoint. Um, but I think if we are what, what about the idea that what people perceive as effort versus Mm -hmm. what they perceive as effortless until you step way back, What I'd say is old Alex is pretty damn confused about which was which. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she had a lot of stories. I had a lot of stories about why the ones I thought were worth it were worth it. And the ones that weren't, weren't. So, yeah. So it it gets back to questioning
0: and asking yourself your why. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned one thing and when you were answering, you talked two things. You talk about duality and union on one side and then you talked about Impermanent. So those are also two really big concepts. So what about that real unreal versus you know permanent and permanent? What's that?
1: <laughs> Give me a
0: little more what you mean real unreal. So that the illusions, the stories we make up, the things that right. are not the actual reality, you know, and mm-hmm. that like you were talking about that not feeling enough, that not fitting in. Like those are all mm-hmm. things that are unreal, but that we make real for ourselves. And totally. they're all cause of suffering. Just like the idea that everything should be permanent when everything is actually impermanent. So for me those are all things that kind of
1: are yeah, part of that together, duality right?
0: versus union.
1: Yeah. yeah, so they all they, they all kind of sit in a, in two pots to me. There's like either illusion and confusion or the actuality yeah. of things, and I don't think we can really get rid of the confusion completely because that's what humans do. Is they were super creative, and we wouldn't have a lot of what we have uh-huh. if we didn't have that ability. But it's really excavating a lot of that belief system of like, oh, if I if I just buy this, or I just look like that, or I just you know get this job, or if I have this amount of this that, or the other, then i it's going to be okay, and I'm going to be able to keep it forever. But it's all very fleeting. Um, I think that that's you know tries to say right now what we're all kind of universally experiencing for the moment is it, it's nothing that you think is permanent is permanent. It's all going to change and it's all uncertain. And that uncertainty can be terrifying, but it's actually like the undercurrent, right? All the time that there is this uncertainty. And so can you be with what what is there? Can you realize when you're not? And if you aren't, it's okay to kind of run into that territory. Mm -hmm. But if you let it perpetuate and you start believing it, it's gonna hurt a lot. And so can you remind yourself that, right here, right now, the floor is underneath of you, you're safe. That, uh, you know, and if you're not, you can remove yourself and and get yourself somewhere that is. Um, but yeah, there's so much, there's so much of that confusion that exists. And I, I think that that's the fun. I think it's the fun in a way, because mm-hmm. it doesn't ever stop. It gets better in ways you see it more clearly. But You know, those, those, uh, Alan Watts did it, does it really well in one of his lectures, um, where he, because he's a part of all of these conversations and all this Eastern way of thinking and in one of them, um, I don't know if you've heard it, but he talks about how people in all those contemplative practices get into being non-attached so much, that then they become attached, attached to being non-attached. To be attached. <laughs> and then he says, he called one of his friends at one point. It was like, what are you up to? And he was like, I'm getting detached. I'm just getting attached to everything I can. Just <laughs> he was like, because if you understand the nature of attachment and the, the pain of change when you're really attached, then you can be really attached because you just know that it's going to be more and more painful the more attached to it you are as it changes and that that's all right. um, it's just to shade it appropriately and in, in a way or to really understand it appropriately. So I think that I think it's just the learning of how everything works that gets mm-hmm. to be what it's about
0: so same with non-attachment, it's not about getting completely detached from everything in your life. It's about watching yourself and how attached you are and how it affects you and move from that place and be like, okay, maybe I need to take a step back on this one, relax a little bit, my gripping or no, I'm still going to choose to hold on to this because it's mm-hmm. important to me and I'll suffer when I'll suffer and we'll see what happens then.
1: Yeah, I think it's like really knowing what you're getting invo- involved in and can you handle the um, the the pain of the change? Because you can look at it both ways. I've been doing this because I'm trying to get through to people more clearly every time I talk, especially in, in workshops and, and teaching opportunities like that one of the big obstacles was people were like but what about this pose now i hear all that you're saying and i i get it and i it makes sense and i'm i'm with you but i have this pose that i really care about so I've been doing this little like visualization with people saying, okay, fine, pick the pose or pick the activity that you are either working on or, or that you love so much, not can't be Shavasana, can't be like constructive rest. It has to be something like attainment based. Um, But I want you to envision yourself either working towards it or doing it. And then I just say, as they're like visualizing never again. And it's just a mere suggestion of an imaginary outcome. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them, okay, f- notice how you feel, notice the thoughts. And sh- if you're willing to share, share with me what happened. And there's a gamut of, of responses, but there'll be things like I got hot, my heart's beating, my chest tightened up. I'm mad at you, even though it's, <laughs> it's just a real. suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> it's not real. Um, they'll, they'll be, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. The, and then there'll be my favorite one is this is the detached one where they'll be like whatever I don't care and I'm like oh okay you don't care huh this thing that you were trying to attain then we do this little mini like you know 15 minute relaxation based class and I've asked them to repeat the same thing and a lot of the responses will be really really different which will be I'm okay I can do something else it's all right or um you know, it, it's no big deal. I, I get it. Uh, or the, the fun one is like some people will have appropriate sadness prior, uh, which I would say is really realistic for something you care about. But the flippant people after the fact, the ones that are like, whatever, they're always like, I'm sad now. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> appropriate response. <laughs> yay! <laughs> but it's really quite funny, right? How we're all like very confused by um, what is the nature of attachment? Oh, maybe we'll just be flipping about it. I'm like, well, just realize what you're getting involved in. It's all right. But if I you know. think it's not going to hurt when it's over, <laughs> well, but that's, that's the fun, right? The, the, the change and the, that kind of, I don't know, this is a little off topic, but it was kind of funny. You know, that movie, um, oh, what is it called? Um, a dog's purpose. Have you seen this? Have you, no. you tortured yourself with this movie? No really sad, but it's really beautiful at the same time. So this it's i I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's obviously a a movie about a dog's purpose and what their, their life's journey is. And so there's a lot of really sad points and it becomes quite obvious that they're going to be redundant, that there's this very clear pattern they're going to follow. And so you're going to have to go through this. And I turned it on to watch it one night when I just didn't have anything else. And I was by myself. And after the first Incidents with this like sadness, I was like, oh man, it's going to be like 90 minutes at least of this. And then the more it kept happening, the more I realized, like, oh, that's a sensation, and oh, that's because I I care about that, and I care about that dog, and I care about my dogs that I've had, and I care about certain things. Oh. And that's actually like, it's a really powerful, but it's not a scary sensation at the end of the day. It's no more scary than elation in some kind of way when you're really happy about something. Mm -hmm. It's a different feeling. It's a little bit differently, but it's still, it's this this feeling of caring about something. And so it was really kind of cool to watch that of being like, oh, I want to avoid that. I want to avoid having to see that or feel that. But if you just sit with it, it's like, oh, well, but that's the measure of how much I cared. That's cool. That hurts. Oh, that means I was I was involved. That's all right. I don't have to fight that or run from it or think that it's going to stay because that was the cool part. Is you kept seeing it over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and then you realize, like, oh, it's just it goes, and you forget, and you move on to getting really excited about what you see instead. And that really relates perfectly to
0: you know avoiding pain and chasing pleasure, and that's also very philosophical <laughs> yogi concept. So. That yeah. works. And I feel like there's so many of those. We can talk about this for hours, but I want to get to one more thing before we have to wrap it up. Um, knowing all those things and thinking about what's your why and you know, trying to understand what you're doing, from that place, how can we as student refine the way we practice or our understanding of the practice? And how as teacher, can we encourage our students to, to do that?
1: I think... I think doing it on your own is really, I'm all for like self-practice and all that, but I think it's really hard without a teacher, without somebody to bounce things off of, which is why I'm such a big like therapy advocate is because, and why I surround myself with people who don't always tell me what I want to hear in any kind of way, um, because, it's really hard to get out of your own way and see what's going on. And then as yoga teachers, we have to be really careful because our scope practice is, is not to unpack people's past or, or their traumas or things like that. Um, and not to, you know, because we can't repack them. We're not licensed for that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to do it a little bit on your own, except that I would say sitting with the idea of like, what do you want to do right now versus what do you need? Mm-hmm. You, what, if we're out of balance, if we're saying that this is a place where we're um, looking for, for answers in some kind of way, if we were to take the idea of, you know, the six o'clock class attender, so often they're like, I got to burn it out. I got to burn it out. I got to go, 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 go. But they're the person who probably was up super early, fought traffic to get there, has a job that is probably pretty stressful. And I'm not saying by any means that I expect them to lay down on the floor and do nothing out of the gates, but their inclination towards doing more that perpetuates this stressed imbalance is so strong when what they actually need or what would balance out that output would be to be more introspective and to be uh, quieter and to do less and to realize that's okay and that it's going to take a few minutes before your nervous system kicks down and it, it tells you it's all right to be there, that there's no there's no real harm coming your way um mm-hmm. you know that that's just this stress response so i think that's one thing that a student can do is go what do i need what do i actually need if this is out of balance right now versus what do i want um and and so that's that's a fun one and then as teachers and what i think i'm supposed to want as oh, well oh yeah extra layer there <laughs> well that's the fun part right it's like there's there's the thing again for me is like it's a never ending thing because there's so many stories that we're told about what we need, what you should do. Um, and to get back to what is, I've been, I, as a funny tangent, I've been, I, I don't give recommendations. I don't prescribe things. I don't tell people like you should do this or you should do that. Um, but you know, when you're teaching, especially people you don't know so well, they ask you like what, what can I do? After all of this, you've told me, like, what, give me a prescription in some kind of way. And I'm like, I don't do that. But here, you want something? I'm not saying do it or don't do it, but you want something, lie down on the floor for 20 minutes a day. Can't do 20, do 10. Lie in a comfy position, constructive rest, or put your calves on a chair, tuck yourself in, play nice music if you like that, make sure you're not going to be interrupted and just lay there. And the amount of notes I've gotten in the last couple of weeks about like, your constructive rest lay on the floor plan is really coming in handy right now. <laughs> like, yeah, see, but at first they're like, really, that's it? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Right now, that's my assessment. We're too up here, too high. So how about we just do a little down? So I think we can look at the current state like, as teachers to answer the rest of the question is to pull back and go, what's happening right now? What are the broad trends? What do people want that we keep saying we wish that they wouldn't want? They keep wanting faster, sweatier, harder, more push-ups, more this, more that. When us as teachers are trying to say, maybe that's not always the solution, then use that to your advantage to go, okay, how do you teach? How do you get people to come to that conclusion on their own in a class? Well, you've got to present them other alternatives and you've got to get them to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then they might surprise you. And make that choice all on their own um, rather than us trying to dictate it. But I think that that's really the place to go right now is to go, okay, what do you wish you did not see anymore? Okay, Mm -hmm. now rather than just yanking it away like a helicopter parent, how do you actually teach those people why that might not be the best case scenario or why it's not the only thing that they can do? There's so many other options to pick from.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's not about saying
0: this is not the right thing for you it's about saying look there's also this and this and this and this
1: thing that you could yeah yeah because that's the whole thing right is we we have you know such a handful of options that we're given it's like well you know you feel stressed go go burn yourself out like go keep go run yourself ragged to get that out of your system and I'm like but that's way it's not really the most productive way honestly for a lot of people in the current state yeah but it's so hard to find the alternatives because you're only presented with the one
0: totally anything else you want to add before we wrap it up if there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with with this episode what would that be
1: oh I don't even know where to start with that one (laughs) lie on the floor for 20 minutes see how it goes perfect (laughs) let's do that you can't do it less time (laughs) there you go challenge for you guys
0: yeah right great I'll put all your info in the show notes uh but in the meantime what's the best place for people to find you if they want to study with you or they want to say hello or they they have more questions to ask
1: for sure a couple places you can either go to my website which is yogaphysics.com or uh, I almost solely on instagram and I'm alexandria crow yoga over there
0: Thank you so much for your time today. It was a very pleasurable episode. I'm very glad we joined.
1: You're welcome. My
0: pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to help other people find it. And if you wanted to continue, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become a VIP member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guest of today, Alexandria Crow, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Now, before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.